This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Senior Policy Advisor for COVID-19's Equity for the White House COVID-19 Response Team, let me welcome Dr. Cameron Webb. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, you got on a Save by Grace sweatshirt, so I figure you know what I'm talking about with the mark of the beast in the Bible. I do indeed. I do indeed. All right. Um, UVA Medical Center, you you uh, you treated patients there throughout the pandemic, so you got up close to the COVID. A lot of people don't still believe when I see the Texas and Mississippi, you're just like, all right, the hell with the masks and all of this. I'm like, don't you know that the COVID, COVID-19 is still there? Tell me the worst of this pandemic for you, what you experienced. Well, first off, I think I'll frame this by saying I worked in the hospital uh, taking care of COVID patients last night. So that's oh. why I'm in a sweatshirt. I worked overnight. I just woke up uh, after after a long night shift. But what I'll say is that, you know, there have been moments and we we're in our coming coming down from our third peak uh, in terms of cases here. But there have been moments where we've just had an onslaught of patients coming in. And the scariest thing, and I was telling our team this just the other day, is when we have an 18-year-old coming in with every single symptom of severe COVID uh, who's really worried about their outcomes, uh, pregnant women coming in really sick and really worried, uh, and then older individuals as well. And, and you know, seeing folks on 15 liters of oxygen, knowing that the science isn't there yet to tell us exactly how we can help somebody who's already gotten really sick, right? Every, somebody who's really sick, who's at high risk for a really bad outcome, we only have but so many tools. We can use tell steroids, we can use remdesivir, but we, we don't have everything that can kind of save somebody in the midst of that. And so that, as an internal medicine doctor, that's one of the most frustrating things. When we have really sick patients and we don't have you know the therapeutics to save their lives, we have to focus on prevention. Dr. Cameron Webb, uh, who does not look old enough to do all of the things that he's doing, but, you know, uh, with his Benjamin Button self. So, um <laughs> I'm assuming you're young because you look very young. So I'm not even going to do the Benjamin Buttons thing. What is very sick? Describe very sick. When you say an 18 year old is coming into the hospital with COVID, very sick. What is what does that look like? Yeah. Well, you know, and this this individual I'm talking about had asthma, had a history of asthma, came in saying those words that as a black American just, you know, are triggering. I can't breathe. Right. And when you hear those words and you see people who look like you, who who should be pretty healthy, doing pretty well, saying, I can't breathe, sitting with them in the waiting room as we're trying to get them moved back and saying, what can I do to help this person? That's a really frustrating and unfortunate set of circumstances. And then, and then I think disproportionately, you know, in our in our computer system, we've got pictures of our patients. And I remember back last year when we first started having COVID patients coming in, clicking through the list of COVID patients and seeing how they all looked like me and my cousins and my aunts and my uncles and my family and saying, there's something going on here that we don't quite fully understand. And it's just the fact that this pandemic is built on the backs of structural inequality and systemic racism. It's built on the backs of the dynamics of folks being left behind for generations. And so now this is that moment where all of those things, this is that that moment of reckoning. And so from a federal perspective, we have to lean in to say, not only am I going to get resources to you to address this, this immediate need, but it's time for us to address these other things as well, because we can't have people disproportionately getting sick just because of, you know, their, their zip code or, or other dynamics historically. 
and and I, I think it's hard for a lot of people to wrap their brains around how a disease can be racist. But I want to I want to double down a little bit on what sickness looks like. What is COVID-19? What is the novel coronavirus doing to that 18 year old who can't breathe that makes it impossible for you to help him? Because like you said, normally, you know, there's not a, a respirator. There's not, you know, the, the, the asthma pump, you know, like why isn't that working on this? Yeah, it, it's what it does. It causes a pretty diffuse pneumonia. So it causes across your lungs, just really fills them up with a lot of kind of infectious response. One of the things about COVID is it, it really revs up your body's uh, inflammatory response system. And so in addition to the virus causing its own problems, it sends for a lot of people, their bodies into hyperdrive, sending cells to try to fight the virus. And the combination of the two is really troubling. You know, one thing that I see, so when folks say they can't breathe, it's because their, their lungs have effectively become a battlefield. It's the place where you have the virus and you have the body fighting the virus and there's no room for air to be exchanged to, to get oxygen to the tissues in your body. And so people go from needing, you know, room air to a couple of liters of oxygen to a non-rebreather, which is a mask that we use for folks who need a lot of oxygen to us saying, do we need to take this person to the ICU and get them intubated for them to continue to breathe? And that happens really quickly in a lot of instances with COVID, much quicker than another conditions, normal pneumonias. And then on top of that, like I said, that inflammatory response, we'll see folks who, you know, are doing okay, then suddenly they end up with clots throughout their body because that body's inflammatory, your body's inflammatory response is, is leading to this clotting situation. So folks will have large pulmonary embolized blockages in the pulmonary vasculature. This, this virus, that, you know, or I should say the disease caused by this virus, it is the likes of which I haven't seen. And I, I've seen a lot of things. I did my, my training in New York City. We used to say, we see every disease possible when you train in New York City. And what I can say is that the COVID is such a unique dynamic because you just see people uh, get worse really quickly. And I think that not having uh, that well-worn path of resources to help uh, has been a challenge. And we have a couple more now than we used to, but, but I think still the best course is to keep people from getting sick in the first place. And, and because some people could be asymptomatic and have it and spread it. Some people can be walking around feeling fine and just lose their taste and smell it's still there. Right. And so what you're walking around with, that's not impacted because the majority of people are asymptomatic. You give it to your grandmother or your cousin that has asthma and it can go from zero to death really quickly. And there's not much you can do in the medical field. So the intubation, once you get to intubating somebody, that's almost like a point of no return from what I'm hearing. Well, it's, it's, that's when it's gotten pretty advanced. And what we're hoping is that we can take that pressure off of your own body to, to breathe for itself. Instead, we can help navigate some of that. We can get air to the places where we need it to go. And that only works to a certain extent. You know, we do a lot of strange things in the hospital. We ask people, you know, to flip over and, and kind of lay on their stomachs in the bed because that way air can distribute to other parts of their lungs and hopefully they can get the oxygen their tissues need. This is, like I said, it's a it's a pretty unique one, but I think the asymptomatic spread has been really challenging because, you know, when we talk about, I'm sure about on the show, but has like a buzzword that everybody talks about now and they think, Oh, Tuskegee, Tuskegee, Tuskegee. That's not it. There's part of it. that's just complacency. It's people saying, so vaccine confidence or vaccine hesitancy comes in three flavors. There's complacency, confidence, and convenience, which is the access piece. And on the complacency side, when folks are saying, I had COVID, I wasn't really sick, 
you know, didn't really feel ill. I was just fine. It's not that big of a deal. I don't know about this vaccine. That's the complacency part, right? Because it's just like their sense of how dangerous this, this uh, virus and the disease are. It's a little bit off base. The fact that it affects different people differently. And here's one thing that I think is so important, right? You can't rest on your laurels as, a, as we call it, a young invincible saying, oh, because I'm young, because I don't have other health conditions, if I were to get COVID, it would be just fine. I can tell you for a fact, that is not true. I mean, yes, in the majority of people on averages across the population, that may be the case, but you don't want to run, you don't want to, you don't want to play that, that game of, of roulette there, right? You want to make sure that, that uh, you're protected, your family's protected, and you don't want to leave that to chance. 866-801-8255. I would love to hear from folk uh, and f- folk who have been, I've seen a lot of you whose minds have been changed uh, and I'm going to raise my hand, you know, and it was Dr. Chris T. Purnell who came in to her story of her dad dying from COVID, her, her, you know, everybody in her family getting it and then being in the Moderna trial. And she's from Jersey, you know, so I'm like already have an affinity, but you know, we, we had an off mic conversation. We had an on mic conversation. And when she talked about the, uh, M in, uh, the RNA, the MRNA technology, I was really excited about it because I'm like, that's futuristic. You got something that is not the virus, you know, because mostly vaccines are will give you a little bit of the virus or whatever, and then let your body figure out how to fight it. So when you get the real thing, you're ready. I don't want a little bit of COVID because I don't know how COVID is going to react, right? So the Moderna trial, coupled with them holding back to make sure they have more people of color in there for their trial, that made me really comfortable. I wanted Moderna. Now J&J is out and J&J, one dose, but it gives you a little bit of the COVID. Talk about that. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't frame it that way. You okay, know, I think frame, that it, it's, it, frame it how you way, would frame it. <laughs> the way that I would frame it is that it's using a different technology and the technology is, it's not giving you COVID. It's actually using a different kind of virus altogether, an adenovirus. It's a really, it, it's... Um, pretty benign. It causes a common cold typically with its usual machinery. But this adenovirus, what they've done is they, similar to mRNA vaccines, they've taken just a clip, just a piece of that that coronavirus, that SARS-CoV-2 virus, and it's just encoding for that spike protein. And again, they're teaching that adenovirus, the common cold virus that's really good at getting into cells, teaching it how to flag to your body, hey, make uh, antibodies against this thing, this spike protein. And so it's kind of, it's a different delivery mechanism to get the same message to your cells. And that message is not the full coronavirus, right? It, th- what that message is, is just for that part. And that, that spike protein that we're coding for, both the messenger RNA vaccines, and, and this adenovirus viral vector vaccine. What it, that spike that it's coding for, that's the part that allows the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus to get into the cell. And so it's kind of the lock and key mechanism. And so that's what we want to teach your body, how to recognize and how to fight. It does not introduce the entire COVID virus, uh, you know, SARS-CoV-2 virus into your body, just that spike and teaches your body how to fight it similar to the mRNA vaccine. So it's a little different mechanism, but it's the same goal to, to give your body the cheat code so it knows how to fight when, uh, if it comes into contact with a real COVID virus. We're talking with Dr. Cameron Webb. Dr. Cameron Webb, you can follow him at Dr. Cameron Webb on the Twitters. Uh, tell me your story. How'd you become a doctor? I was gonna why? say, you just dropped why? a Twitter hashtag. Oh my goodness. Get me some followers. So, so yeah, I, I became a, a doctor because when we always say representation matters, when I was five years old, 
a primary care doctor was a young black man named Dr. Timothy Yarborough. And I remember seeing a black man in a white coat and I was just like, that's it right there. I want to serve my community like Dr. Yarborough. I want to be in spaces to help people, you know, use science, use my mind to help my community. Became passionate about it. And, um, and you know, moving forward, you know, always knew I wanted to help people. Then you start to encounter those really incredible disparities in our healthcare system. You realize there's a social justice element. And so I say, I mean, you see my sweatshirt, Saved by Grace. There's a calling to be a healer in our society, right? And there's a calling to be in these spaces where you can help people. But sometimes the healing has to do with the individual and with the system. And our healthcare system needed healing. That's why I also you know, became a lawyer as well. And I think that the combination of the two allows me to do social wait, justice wait, work back up, in back healthcare, up. which you is how- You have a law I degree too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got all the student debt. All, all the right, student where, debt. <laughs> where are you where are you from, Dr. Cameron? Spotsylvania County, Virginia. Nice and rural, in central Virginia. I'm very familiar um, with it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh and it, I live in Charlottesville, Virginia now, so about an hour away. But um so, but I've lived so all over. I'm I'm sorry, which did you get first? The medical degree or the law degree? Got them at the same time. It was a seven-year combined degree. So I started med school first. I finished law school first, but um, but got both degrees over those seven years. And so it was a it was a trek, but it was worth it. I I'm, I absolutely love that um, because it's you you go into medicine, you get the knowledge so that you can you help people. But then the social justice piece, you need to understand the laws that we're working under. So, which is, uh, you're, you're part of this pandemic response is COVID-19 response team with the white house, um, senior policy advisor, senior policy advisor. That's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, have you had the vaccine yourself and what are you telling your family? Yeah. So I've had the vaccine myself. I actually, um, you know, I went to get it as soon as I possibly could. It was important. You know, my wife is an emergency doctor, my wife, Leanne, and I'm an internist. And so for both of us, we've been on the front lines since last March. And I think it was important for us, you know, for our kids, for our peace of mind to know that in addition to the N95 respirators, in addition to the face shields, the eyewear, the, the gloves and the gowns, we had this additional layer of immunologic protection and it gave us some peace of mind. I think that's been, that's been helpful and important. And I'll tell you, my, my mom just turned, uh, I shouldn't say she's going to get mad at me, but she turned 65 this year. So she was eligible uh, for, for the COVID vaccine and went and got it the first day she possibly could. And my dad got it the next day. Uh, and so both of my parents, and it's funny because uh, I was actually on a panel with Dr. Chris Purnell the other day. And I mentioned, you know, my mama got that vaccine. So, you know, you know, I believe in it. If, if, with all my training, with all my background, with the fact that I work in a coronavirus unit and I know what's at stake. And I look at this vaccine and the data behind it, the research that's been done, the way that people who look like me were included in the trials and the way that ultimately we think it can save lives and prevent hospitalizations. And there wasn't even a hesitation. So my parents have received it. I, my siblings, I have a sister who's a nurse, uh, another sister who's a teacher. They both received their vaccines as well. So so uh, the webs, we're pretty vaccinated and we're, we're getting there. We're not at 100 percent yet uh, because we still have some folks who aren't eligible, like in a lot of communities. But um, but, I, you know, I think uh, always encouraging people to I'm not here to sell vaccines. What I'm here to do is to share information and allow people to make good decisions. And I think it's always a good decision to protect yourself. And I think that's what people are doing. Listen, um, you know, my biggest the other thing besides Dr. Christy Purnell was watching all the white folk going to black neighborhoods to get it and get on airplanes and go into black neighborhoods to get it. And I said, oh, 
they understand how important it is. They're coming into our neighborhoods to get this vaccine because they can't get it where they are. Huh? Okay. I see you. 866-801-8255. Can you stick around? We got people that want to talk to you and uh, I want you to take some calls, but also, you know, want to talk a little bit about, you know, the nefarious way in which black people have had to endure, you know, all the social experiments and the racism and then to be asked to trust the government. You know, there's something really, really twisted about that. And it's difficult, you know, even when the government looks like us, you know, you got, you got Flint, Michigan, you know, trust us, trust us as you poison the water with lead, you know, or you allow a water system to be poisoned. I'm looking at uh, Mississippi right now, Jackson under siege government, Texas, you know, trust us. And at every turn, the government has pretty much let black folk down in particular. So why is this different? Like the J and J is that a game changer? The J and J and now Merck, is partnering is that going to give us the herd immunity that we need dr cameron it's absolutely a game changer i say that unequivocally and it's a game changer because yes it extends our capacity we have another tool in our tool belt now so right we have yet another vaccine that can help get people covered we have a vaccine that people can use if they prefer to only get one shot and we have a vaccine that's been shown to be virtually 100 percent effective at preventing severe illness and death and as i told you I'm working on the front lines of this pandemic. I'm seeing people severely ill and dead. And if you're telling me we've got a single shot that can stop that from happening, well, that's a game changer to me. And so I think the J&J vaccine is, is incredibly significant. The partnership with Merck is incredibly significant because now you're going to see uh, the amount that we're able to produce increase significantly. And so I think, you know, what the president's done to not only, you know, get this vaccine, you know, in play, but also expand the capacity by leveraging the Defense Production Act, that's big. And I think that's going to help a lot of people. And I think from an equity standpoint, having another vaccine for people to choose from is always a good thing. I, I- I could talk to you all day uh, because you're 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 vast in your knowledge and and in your heart too. You have a heart for people. All right, let's go back to the phones. Darian has a question for Doctor Webb. Darian in Tennessee, welcome. Hey, thank you, long time listener, first time caller. How are you? Hey, <laughs> hey, thanks a lot. First of all, uh, Karen, I appreciate you. I uh, appreciate all the love, the hope and the encouragement you and the positive vibes you put out there has changed my life. I can tell you that. Dr. Cameron, salute you, man. Thank you so much for what you're doing for, for people, for our people on a daily basis, risking your own life on a daily basis. So I appreciate, I appreciate you, man. Much respect, much love. Um, yeah. My question is this. I, I, I heard, some, I don't know if I heard somewhere, I, I read somewhere that if you get, um, if you're exposed to the virus in smaller particles uh, and you're infected by smaller particles, maybe you had a mask or some kind of uh, barrier, it, could that be one of the reasons people are um, less, you know, show less symptoms or the symptoms are less severe? Well, so I think um, what you're speaking to is is kind of the amount of, uh, of vi- we call it viral inoculum. So just the amount of virus that you come in contact with. And we have a lot of data that tells us that if you uh, come in contact with a lot of virus, like let's say that somebody who has COVID, you don't have a mask on, they don't have a mask on, and they cough and sneeze in your face at the same time. That's going to be a lot of virus coming at you. And that's potentially a much higher amount of what we call inoculum. So more virus coming in for your body to start dealing with from jump. If they have a mask on, if you have a mask on, on. If it's more limited, the amount 
of virus that comes in contact with your body, the thought process was your body's better equipped to, to fight the little bit of virus that comes in. You may still end up with an infection, but it may lead to a lesser infection. Now, the science isn't completely conclusive on that, but that is one of the theories of how people, how some people get really sick and others not as much. Some one of the theories for what we're seeing among healthcare providers they're coming in contact with more uh, COVID or folks who are our frontline essential workers who disproportionately from communities of color, I should add, you know, the fact that they're always in spaces where they could come in contact with, with the virus, I think that's, um, that's part of it. So it is, it is part of the theory. It's also part of the theory of the case for why mask wearing is so important, why physical distancing is so important and good hand hygiene, minimize the amount of virus you come in contact with. Even with the vaccine, because it's still inconclusive, uh, whether or not, even if you have the vaccine, if you can still spread it, and you can still catch it. Is that correct? That's right. So, you know, I think we've got, uh, you know, of course, the different vaccine manufacturers have looked at this and it just wasn't one of the primary endpoints for the for the trials that got the vaccines approved for emergency use authorization. They were approved because of their ability to prevent death or severe illness. But in terms of just preventing the spread of COVID, you know, we don't know that for certain yet. Now, Moderna's made some statements that they think that it, it does a pretty effective job. J&J has made some statements they think it does a pretty effective job. That's, that's really good information, good to have, but it doesn't change the recommendations. And we do expect that the CDC is gonna come out with recommendations over the next couple of days or, or, you know, in the near term about, you know, for vaccinated individuals, what precautions do they continue to take? Because we have now, you know, a, a larger number of vaccinated individuals, but for the time being, I still wear uh, my mask. My wife still wears her mask. I think it's still really important to maintain those public health practices. So what do you say when a, t a whole state says no masks? Yeah, I say that I say that sometimes, you know, politics gets in the way of good, good reasoning, uh, you know, good rationale. I think the science is really sound on the value of masking um, and, and study after study after study has proven that. And so I think that, um, you know, people people are uh, you know sometimes pushing back and saying, oh, this is impinging on my freedom. I don't think that that's the case. I think that, you know, we, we've made the case time and time again that you wear a mask for yourself. Yes but also for your community. And if we want our communities to be open and thriving and we wanna crush this pandemic, that's a small part to play, you know? And, and if it's a matter of not having access to a mask, we can get you a mask. <laughs> but it, it's, 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 very, it's a very low lift uh, to, to, to keep us moving forward. Let's go to uh, Michael in Ohio. And thank you, brother, for the call. Call back anytime, first time caller. Hi, Michael. Hey, Karen. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, appreciate your uh, show today, especially with uh, Dr. Cameron Webb on giving us information. Uh, my quick story is, is uh, right when the pan I guess like right when the pandemic hit or right before it hit, I had actually caught it, but I had no idea what it was. I just thought I had a cold because I had, you know, shortness of breath and I was coughing uncontrollably. It lasted maybe uh, maybe about 48 hours or 72 hours, and then I was fine. So my question is, and I don't know if he had answered this already, if I had the virus and I went to my doctor maybe a few months later and he did the blood work and it showed that I had the antibodies, should I still, at my age, which I'm, you know, knocking on 50, should I still go ahead and take the, um, uh, the vaccine uh, when it's available for me? Well, thanks for the question, Mike. I would say, you know, first off, at 50, you are both yet a babe in the woods and at an age where, you know, you do have a higher risk than, than the teenagers out there. Um, we had some data that came out uh, recently over the past couple of weeks from other countries, but they looked at a cohort of individuals who had 
COVID versus those who didn't. And they said that at, at about seven months, that's when you start to see that protection, those antibodies that you uh, developed from having COVID in the past, uh, we start to see that wane. And so what I would say is, you know, based on the timeline you're giving me, uh, absolutely, I, I would recommend vaccination for, for somebody who's been infected, but we're actually recommending that broadly for anybody who's been uh, prior, previously infected. And part of why is that it's a more reliable immune response that we're generating uh, from the vaccine because we know exactly what it's what it's showing you. <laughs> we know exactly what it's teaching your body how to fight against and we think it, it confers a little bit more durable in immunity. So it hopefully lasts a little bit longer. Now, of course, people haven't been getting vaccinated for, for a year, so we don't know if it lasts for a year, but I think the studies and what we're, what we're tracking is that it, it seems to last a little bit longer. We were seeing people get reinfected with COVID three months after a COVID infection, right? Wow. So that's why it's really important that we still encourage people to get vaccinated because we think it's going to create a longer term, a longer lasting immunity for you. Uh, we were just talking, Dr. Chris T. Purnell was on a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we were talking about how this may be like the flu where every year we're going to have to get re-vaccinated. Re um, do you think that that's going to be the case where we're going to have to do boosters or like, cause it's already the two shot one is like the first one. Then you get a, I guess like a booster shot, but you're saying that's only going to last a year. Maybe we don't know. Karen, Karen I'll tell you this. Uh, COVID has been humbling for the medical profession and for science in general. And so I don't use a crystal ball anymore. I can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like, but what I will say is that um, it's, it's really possible just because of the way we've seen variants emerging that you can have a more effective vaccine that's tailored to the predominant circulating virus at any given time. And we know that viruses adapt and, and so they change over time. But I think that that's one of the benefits of, you know, in particular the messenger RNA vaccine, that platform, allows you to say, actually, we're going to change the, the code that we're teaching your body to fight against. We're going to, we're going to change that. And that's going to be uh, really easily produced. And so um, it's, it's helpful. It's a little more nimble. But, um, you know, I, I couldn't speak to how frequently you're going to need vaccination. I can just speak to in this moment, in this time, you get that <laughs> shot. <laughs> um, what about, you know, again, our community is very uh, heavily reliant upon herbs, you know, uh, natural remedies, you know. Uh, you know, elderberry, vitamin D, concoctions of oil, of oregano and other, you know, garlic and postices and things. Um, does that help? Because that's about building your immunity, echinacea, you know, talk to me, doc, you know, and, and sometimes we do too much. <laughs> we just try to we, do everything. Cause I, that happened to me with the zinc during the early parts. I took way too much zinc and mess myself up for a good week. See, well, and I was gonna say, my mom was from the Bayou, my, my dad too. So they're, they're from Louisiana. I know a thing or two about, about this. You know, the, the reality is yes, things that build up your immune system, not gonna hurt you, right? But I, I would say don't replace uh, kind of the other interventions, you know, the, the good public health practices like mask wearing, hand washing, physical distancing, uh, you know, don't replace the role of a vaccine and say, I'm just going to stick to my elderberry, right? That's not actually going to confer the same benefit to you that getting this shot is going to do. And so um, I always tell people we have to, we have to think about how this works with communities as they are currently situated. We're not going to tell you, stop using the things that you've used to prevent you from getting colds for years. But what we're going to tell you is that in this particular instance, this shot is your best chance to avoid getting sick. I've seen too many people who were using their normal practice and say, I never get sick, who've landed in my hospital beds talking about how did I get COVID? 
Oh, Joe. Oh, gosh. Uh, we had Lou Gossett uh, Jr. on uh, a month or so ago, and he was talking about that, and then he had COVID. I was like, oh, his grandmama's remedy did not right. work. <laughs> Ronnie in South Carolina, welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Yes, yes. I'm a first-time caller. Welcome. Uh, wonderful to talk to you. I, I listen to you all the time. Thank you. Yes, but I, I want to ask Dr. Webb, I just got over COVID uh, less than a month ago. And uh, I was diagnosed on January the 7th, and I was in the hospital for about 12 days. Uh, I was on that 15-liter uh, oxygen thing there, and I'll tell you what, I, I've never uh, experienced anything like it. But uh, I think what, what brought me through mainly was the encouragement that I got from the nurses and the doctors that came in. And they motivated me to, to fight, you know, and I did. Uh, but since I've been out, my oxygen level has been sporadic. It's been up and down. Uh, I'm a truck driver, and I, I'm back at work now, but I find myself not laboring, but uh, I have one of those oxygen things you put on the finger, and my oxygen level... Like, it, it'll dip down into, like, 75, but it'll come back up pretty quick. What can I do to get it uh, back to where it's supposed to be? Yeah, you know, well, first off, Ronnie, I'm so glad that you've made it through that hospitalization. Yes. All right. Um, you know, it's it's good to hear a story of somebody who got really sick, but, but bounced back. And part of what you're describing, um, you know, continuing to have symptoms sometime afterward, you know, we've started to describe that as kind of long hauler syndrome or kind of this, this version where some of those COVID symptoms stick with you. For some people, it's, you know, a mind fog, not thinking as clearly. For some people, it is the breathing challenges. For some people, it's general fatigue. But, you know, for whatever reason, it seems like some of these symptoms of COVID stick around. There was another study recently that looked at folks nine months out from COVID and saw that over 30% of people still had some symptoms. So, so COVID is unique. It is unique in the impact that it has. Um, you heard me a little earlier in the show describe uh, what the, the effect of COVID on your lungs as essentially a battle, right? It's a battlefield. And so you, what you're experiencing to some extent is, is the lingering effects of the battle. You know, the, the soldiers are gone, uh, but there was still a battle there. And I think that that causes some, some difficulties, some scarring, some challenges in your lungs sometimes. You know, it takes time to get over. And if you've had, you know, for folks who've had pneumonia before, they'll know what I'm talking about. It doesn't bounce back immediately. It takes a little bit of time. So with COVID, it's variable. What I would say is, you know, definitely keep track of your oxygen levels, how they're doing. Um, definitely link up with a doctor. If you have a primary care doctor, um, stay pretty close to them because they can connect you with, with a, you know, a lung specialist if they feel like that's something that you need moving forward. But, um, but the main thing is just, you know, keep, uh, you know, keep yourself protected. Uh, make sure you don't get sick. You know, there are other things that can get you sick this season. You don't want a second hit and, um, and just keep pushing forward. Great advice. And thank you, Ronnie. God bless. Uh, Lisa, we have a minute left. Uh, Lisa in Atlanta, quickly. You're on. Welcome. Quick. Thanks, Karen. Dr. Webb. I'm a uh, 63-year-old pharmaceutical rep. I walk outside three times a week. Do I need to wear a mask? I've had both of my Moderna shots, but I'm outside in an open area. Should I, do I have to wear a mask? 
So there's two ways to answer this. It depends on how close you are to other people. So if you're within, I always say, if you're within 10 feet of somebody, or if there's a chance that in the course of being outside, you're going to be, wear the mask. The other thing is if you're committed to this and you're committed to making sure that people are wearing masks, don't mess up the signal. Don't confuse people. Just keep it straight and say, I always wear my mask. I wear my mask when I'm outside running. I wear my mask when I'm walking my dog. I wear my mask when I'm out and about. And I think that's important uh, to help keep that signal consistent for folks who are hesitant about wearing masks. But, um, but you know, I think uh, for the most part, yes, you can be out in the open air without a mask if there's nobody nearby. Um, that's one thing that we've been saying since the beginning. But I love that she's moving her body because that's also uh, building her immunity. Lisa, thank you for that. And and aren't you building lung capacity? Keeping the mask on and working out because I've I've I feel like I have like a swimmer you know because swimmer lungs are you know because when I was swimming man I could you know anyway I appreciate you doctor will you come back Dr. Cameron Webb please Absolutely. Absolutely. you are amazing <laughs>